0: It's been a seismic week for Home Nation's rugby following the announcement of the dismissals of Eddie Jones and Wayne Pivac. Pivac has been replaced by returning predecessor Warren Gatlin, while Jones' successor is yet to be appointed. This week, a special flash episode for you in which myself, Nick Kane, Brendan Gallagher and Chris Hewitt react. Very, very different episode today. We're recording Wednesday morning as it is. We're almost 24 hours on from the announcement that Eddie Jones has been dismissed by the RFU. This is a Flash episode, so we've actually already recorded this week with Ollie Lawrence. That episode will be pushed back a few days just to let this episode air. And what we're going to do is myself, Nick Kane, Chris Hewitt, Brendan Gallagher, we're all going to react to the Eddie Jones dismissal and dis- discuss how England are now looking 10 months out from a World Cup. It's a pretty big call. Nick, I'm going to come to you first. You've obviously been campaigning for this, well, for <laughs> the last three years, effectively. So my first question is, how was the party last night?
1: It was outstanding. No, I listen. I don't take any. Um, I I don't actually take any any pleasure out of it. I, my concern is what's happening with English rugby and the need for an uplift in English rugby. And I, you know, I mean, I felt quite early on that it was a, you know, with Jones that it was a road to nowhere after his first four years. Obviously, the first two years were rocket fueled, and uh, he got all the plaudits he deserved during that period um 2018 was a dip and it showed that there was the potential for a dip with him that it wasn't going to be an all blacks like um you know pro- up, upward progression the whole way he recalibrated things in 2019 i think that some sometimes i think that the 2019 world cup and jones's world cup record such as it is gets in the way um, I've read quite a lot of the the, the pieces which have uh, proclaimed, you know, that his World Cup record is extraordinary and so on and so forth. And I suppose, in terms of getting to the latter stages and that big upset, massive upset that Japan had over South Africa, that it's sort of fueled that reputation to a degree. But look, he 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 lost the World Cup final in two thousand and three, despite a pretty murky campaign in terms of trying to undermine uh, England. He was an assistant coach, a consultant coach in 2007. And we should remember that the person who was the head coach of the Springboks was Jake White, not Eddie Jones. And that really it was White's team that won that World Cup and White's tactical blueprint that won that World Cup. And as far as 2019 is concerned, I think one of the things that's missed is that in terms of a route to the final, I'm not suggesting for a moment that Australia and New Zealand were easy stepping stones in that final, because they they weren't, although Australia was shaky um, uh, under under checker, But the idea, you know, I mean, they didn't play one of their pool games. They had almost a three week build up to uh, in fact i think it was a three-week build-up to the semi-final against new zealand because of the cancelled game against france they had a pool which included tonga and the usa and the only serious game that they had in the pool was against argentina in which the argentines conspired to get you know one of their lock lavanini the hand grenade sent off (laughs) after 19 minutes so Actually, their course and their preparation for those semifinals, uh, for those uh, knockout stage games, could not have been better. What they did in those games will never, you know, I mean, that, Jones's record will stand on that um, and his ability as a coach. The, the, the planning he did to um, destroy New Zealand in that game had gone on as far as i can make out for the best part of four years so so you know i mean he he deserves the plaudits for that but the bomb out in the uh, in the final against south africa was a you know just typical of the boom bust uh you know record that he that he has and what has happened subsequently has been bust really pretty well you know i mean okay there was the, there was the the pandemic Um, championship which they won after being beaten by France in Paris where teams didn't really seem to be that the the whole tournament was trunk obviously was uh, was elongated massively and England came through to win it but there was no great sort of fanfare at the end of it Um, and since then obviously it's been pretty much with the exception of the tour to Australia downhill so, um, you know, I mean, do I think he should go... The 73% record, I'd also like to just put a coder in as well. You you know, you beat who's in front of you, but where other teams used the Nations Cup in 2020, at the end of 2020, as a rebuilding mechanism to look at uh, at, at young players coming through, he absolutely, well, pretty well, he refused to do so. He fielded his strongest side throughout, and cleaned up, and had another, I can't remember what it is, another four or five Ws, four Ws, I think, to to his record after beating a third-string French side in the final. So if you take those four wins out of his record, then I, I sort of think, I, I'm not sure whether it would would still stay at 73%, but I doubt it. So I I, I feel that it was absolutely the right time for him to go, okay, it's, it's difficult with... Um, uh, barely a year to go, or less than a year to go until the uh, until the World Cup. But um, what do you want to do? Carry on limping, or, uh, or or try and get on your on your feet properly?
0: Chris, back on the podcast for the first time in a while. Now um, you actually missed the episode with Lewis Deacon, but it, Lewis was of the opinion that the RFU wouldn't pull the trigger and make this decision. I think this is certainly a bigger statement than if they'd gone with the opposite and back Jones through to the World Cup. No one on the episode disagreed with Lewis there. I don't know, maybe Nick and Brendan, you did disagree and thought they would do it. I certainly didn't think they'd do it until the rumours started flying around Monday. Chris, did you expect it? Latterly, I did, because uh,
2: um, uh, the the press, for all its um, perceived faults amongst the uh, great population, rarely gets these things wrong Once once the story starts moving. I think it's an extremely powerful force. And especially with a, an RFU administration as weak as it is, and I think the RFU deserve a monumental kicking for the way that they've handled things, not just um, over the last few days, but for a considerable amount of time. I mean, this decision could and um, probably should have been made, probably by Eddie himself, actually, some, some time ago. But we we have had the embarrassment of Bill Sweeney repeatedly repeatedly showing him support declaring his support in public not moving on, on on particular issues that people thought were staring him in the face we've had the charade of an anonymous panel which doesn't stay anonymous for very long because the names of various people are in the are in the newspapers almost immediately the the, the RFU when it comes to these high-profile decisions, high-profile appointments or sackings, dismissals, whatever you want to call them, has a fantastic track record of being entirely useless. And until <laughs> they begin to act like the grown-up businessmen and management operatives that they claim to be and were appointed to be, I think this that this will continue and continue and continue. We have not had, in the professional era, the departure of a coach that has not been a complete fiasco, in one way, shape, or form, a complete fiasco. And if you compare that to the way, and I shall be writing about this at the weekend, but if you compare that to the way that Gatlin left Wales in 2019, the the contrast is so stark as to be unbelievable. And the Welsh Rugby Union is not the most brilliant organisation in the world, as we know. But the RFU holds a lot of responsibility for the way things have unfolded. I think, in terms of Eddie's performance, I agree quite a lot with Nick. I think he underplays a couple of things slightly that that Jones achieved. I think he got the Wallabies to a World Cup final in two thousand and three that they barely had any right to get anywhere near because they were far from the strongest side. The great Wallaby side from ninety nine was hanging when they beat the Lions in two thousand and one, and then had pretty much disappeared. So that was an achievement. I think his contribution to the box in 2007, and yes, he was very much just a technical analyst, but it was an important role. Nick Mallett, Springbok coach, described it as Drake White's masterstroke to bring him in. It wasn't to analyse the opposition. It was to analyse the Springboks and tell them some home truths, which Eddie is very good at doing, as we know. <laughs> the Japan thing was extraordinary. The England World Cup campaign in in, in 2019 was very impressive. That should have been it probably for Eddie. Eddie himself has said four years is about a limit on this kind of thing. We need to move on. He didn't for whatever reason. Maybe he was being paid an absolute mint. Maybe there was nothing else that he particularly wanted to do. Who knows? But I think Eddie's high point was 2019 and and, and much of the stuff that preceded it. And it's been a bit of a mess since uh, If I know Eddie pretty well and hand on heart, I think. Um, he would accept that there are various areas, especially around selection and possibly man management. The the turnover of coaches at Twickenham is extraordinary. Warren Gatland kept the same bunch of coaches for a decade. People barely lasted ten weeks with Eddie. Now there's something there's something wrong there. There's something hugely confrontational uh, about Eddie's style, and it's 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 clear that. When things are going well, people will put up with that level of confrontation. When things are a little bit quakey and he starts chucking the blame around and starts dishing out the rollickings, people don't like it so much. That was a clear sign that things went well in the England camp. Just the turnover of coaches has been, been, frankly, an embarrassment uh, for a top-end professional sports organisation. Hard questions should have been asked of Eddie far earlier by the RFU than they have been. And...
0: Uh, we, we're left with the fiasco we now have. A lot of this is coming back to the RFU, and obviously some people have said that the sacking is the RFU sort of washing their hands away of any particular blame, and you can look below that layer, and the, obviously it's not the case. But Brendan, does that mean that the England job, given what Chris just said about every coach's <laughs> departure being such an event and the the mistreatment of coach, assistant coaches, etc., does the England job carry less of an appeal than it did then?
3: Uh, I suspect it. It possibly does, but um, when when you you know we, when you put the coaches on the spot and ask them, do you want to coach England for four years at seven hundred fifty thousand a year? There's still a few contenders. I would suggest. Um, my reaction to this last week, I think I said it's a long time ago now. I think I said they should sack him, but they won't. And my thinking there was that you. All the big contenders seem to be dropping away. Warren Gatlin was being linked with Wales. Sean Edwards had just signed an extension with France. Scott Robertson, for whatever reason, didn't seem to be in the frame at the moment. Ronan O'Gara had just committed to Rochelle. And I thought, you know, Eddie, for all his faults, as we've said, as we've heard already, is a big beast and he's done some pretty big things in rugby. And I thought, I just didn't think they'd get rid of him unless they had a big beast to bring in in his place immediately. Well, they haven't got that at the moment. We've got Richard Cockrell as, a, as an interim. Now, I don't know how interim that is going to be. Um, it would seem that Steve Borthwick is being lined up, but they've had time to think about this. I was a bit surprised that they didn't immediately tell us who the new coach was. So, yeah, it is shambolic. I mean, there's all sorts of surreal things about this. If we read some of the press reports, um, Ian McGeekin was a member of this anonymous uh, committee review committee. Geach gives us his views every Sunday in the Sunday telegraph. He writes about England frequently, constantly almost. I mean, why why that ridiculous charade that he can't now then be, you know, have his name put to a report on England's uh, coaching? So it's all a bit odd. I mean, one, one thing it does show is that Autumn International seemed to count. Uh, there, was a, there was a time when that was not... Um, considered true but you know we've had two major sackings and, and appointments this week uh off the back of poor autumn internationals um obviously it's not just down to the autumn internationals but it it's a crisis point it is where it all comes together um so yeah england is it's a warts and all job isn't it it is a big big job uh, and you need big people to to fill those shoes but it is a complicated job and it often ends in tears you
2: know, don't you, that the RFU have truly turned a page when they get rid of a very, very confrontational coach and appoint Richard Cockrell is the polar opposite.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: what do we make of that? Do we? I'm guessing we don't make of that as Cockers will stay through to the World Cup. Uh,
2: well, where, where, whether he stays as anyone's part of a coaching team, um, who, who knows? Um, crikey, because we have... We, we, we have no no absolute hard information about what the hell's happening in that regard but um I I also have I mean Brendan raises a really good point I think about the um about the about the panel I mean we've had this these reviews and these review processes I mean they're, they're never particularly satisfactory I mean there was the 2011 classic where it just got leaked and everyone's personal criticisms of of the of the coaches and what have you involved. Was splashed all over the Times. Like, great story. Wish I'd had it. But what a way to run the ship. And and Brendan's also right that in terms of big name candidates, I remember um, uh, one England coach during uh, the demise of Brian Ashton, which was uh, as great a great a fiasco as I've seen actually in the um, in 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 the way that the rugby football union handle things. Uh, he was uh, his name. He shall remain nameless. But it was Brian Smith. Um he, he uh he basically said uh when when linked to a, a coaching role with the England team, the fish stinks from the head down, and then promptly took and then promptly took a well-paid role in the England setup. So so m- money and opportunity does count for a lot, and it's a massive job, isn't it? And these blokes by nature are very ambitious. They're they're top-end sports operators. I mean, ambition's a big thing. So, in the end, you won't be completely bereft of candidates, but the RFU doesn't make itself a very attractive place to work with the way it behaves.
0: I was going to touch upon it later, but it seemed like a natural feed-in now. All rumours are suggesting it'll be Borthwick. My view is that it should be Robertson. In an ideal world, for the three of you, and I'll come to you first, Nick, who comes comes
1: in. Well, the person who who will come in, I I, I think is, uh, and it's been again widely flagged, is Borthwick. Um, it seems that the groundwork has actually been uh, done with Leicester, and you know that brings with it certain certain issues. Obviously, um, I am inclined to agree with you about uh, Robertson, and particularly if they'd had a double ticket of Robertson and O'Gara. I think that English rugby needs, uh, it, it's it's a strange brew in some way because Engl- English rugby, I mean, Jones and Proudfoot have talked about this DNA and, and, and the forward strength and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's like trying to create dreams without, you know, without any content in a sense, because England's pack has been, you know, people have talked about England's forward strength. What forward strength? You know, they're an average pack at best. And you, you know, we're talking. You know, the debate goes on endlessly about what back line, so on and so forth. I mean, I would have been very happy to have seen Farrell at ten, uh, Tuilagi at twelve, and Slade at thirteen against the, you know, against the Springboks, or even throughout the uh, the the autumn with Smith coming off the bench and bringing his, you know, his magic touches, but backs can't do a hell of a lot. If their pack is not producing quick ball, if their set piece is blown to smithereens. So, you know, let's get the bloody cart after the horse and let's fix the forward pack, you know, because that's what needs to happen first. It's building blocks. You know, it's very, very fundamental in rugby and, You know, I mean, Chris made a a very um, cogent defence of Jones. But Jones's record in terms of forward packs, you talked about that Australian team actually outside the front row. They were a bloody good team in 2003. The problem was that they had, you know, a non-functioning front row pretty well. You know, a a team that couldn't scrummage. And he did the same and bought a similar team to Twickenham about a year later, when Andrew Sheridan tore tore a hole in them, put two props off the pitch. So, And I look at this this time around, we've got these sort of all singing, all dancing props. But when the heat really comes on, they are not test level. So let's get the thing sorted in the right way. And that starts up front. Now, uh, you know, I mean, having looked at the Crusaders, I think Robertson probably understand he was a number eight. So he understands, you know, better than most people. An international number eight understands that the quality of ball that he gets is very, very important. So I think he'd probably attend to those basics as well. Borthwick's record is, at the, at the elite end, as an assistant coach, is very, very good. It's pretty well un, unimpeachable. So... um, he's got that but his his problem is is you know the is the communication side of things where he can be very very stilted and that's putting it kindly
2: it's a public facing job Nick isn't it and Steve yeah. doesn't face the public
1: yeah I think that that's um. right and this idea you know I, I read I read somewhere as a very very good point that y- you have to be able to explain to the public whatever your plan is you've got to be able to put it, in cogent terms and and put it out there so people can understand what you're being measured by not bloody smoke screen of we'll get there in the world cup you know when the world cup comes along it'll be all right on the night sort of stuff which was where jones was going you know it's all my fault but trust me i'll get i'll get us there in the end is it is Um, it
2: true is it true nick that steve borthwick's currently learning french so he can pretend that he can't speak english (laughs) <laughs> you sound better informed about that than I am.
1: <laughs> but um yeah, so I I, I do think, but I, I think in terms of his credentials, um, you know, they're they're very strong. And he's an English coach, which is also important because it it means that English coaches are, you know, can again aspire to that top job. So um it's a it's a difficult one, but I I, I would my my instinct says Robertson. And I don't think that, by the looks of things, I, I, you know we we've heard nothing about whether they've uh, they've done the groundwork. I, I I just say one other thing: this interim thing is very very interesting. You know, I mean, obviously we've got Richard Cockrell there, and that is very much temporary, as uh, as we understand. But I, I I wrote a column a year ago saying Gatland is free. You know, this was when Jones's last uh, contract extension came. Up. Gatland is free. They hadn't talked to him. They said that they hadn't talked to him, I'm pretty sure. And I'm thinking, hang on, they're not sure what is going to happen here going forward. Or they seem to be pretty sure. Sweeney and Connor O'Shea did at at that last meeting when they explained his his contract extension. I said, if you think about it, why wouldn't you pay Gatland a retainer? You know, cross his palm with silver so that you've got him as an option. You know, I mean, they're flinging money around left, right, and center. That would have been a really astute move.
3: i put that out there for the rest of- On the time. subject of, of interim coach, am I right in thinking that Stuart Lancaster was initially appointed Correct. interim Correct. coach? And he had a half-decent 2012 Six Nations, I think they came second, uh, and he, he was appointed thereafter. So it, it is a bit worrying that it seems to be left hanging out there. Uh, it's a funny period of time this and I think it's quite important the perspective you've got an England cricket team which is redefining test cricket getting everybody watching and on the communication point there Nick they have told us exactly what they're doing exactly how they hope to do it exactly how they might fail in some of the things they do but how they're going to win and everybody is moving behind them you've also got an England football team that are scoring spectacular goals for fun I mean All twelve goals they have scored in the World Cup so far have been highlights reels. They've been terrific. So you put that against this drab, uninspiring, flat England rugby team that has been marking time at best for three years. In fact, going downhill. And the RFU, I think, therefore came under massive pressure, um, not only to act on pure rugby grounds, but they've got to give England rugby and England fans a bit of hope for the future. So there's that that context. I didn't think I don't think you know that did Eddie any favors whatsoever. And then, as you say, it the communication England have got to get over. I've got to appoint a coach who's got a message, both that he can impart on the players, but also tell us and the public what's going on, so that we understand it and get behind it. And that really narrows down the uh, the number of coaches who can do that. It's not an easy job.
2: But well, it's it's very interesting, isn't it? Or it would be interesting to know exactly how the RFU now see the next World Cup. As as Stuart Lancaster, as you rightly say about Stuart, he was an interim coach. The thing that people misunderstood about Stuart at the time, including me, until I got to know him quite well, he's a, he was a very ambitious bloke. Not not in a not in a, a big I am kind of way, not in a not in a particularly um not in a particularly um sort of publicly forceful kind of way. He didn't shout the odds. I mean, sure it was quite the opposite, but he had thought about his progression through the England coaching ranks and where it might lead him, with with he spent a considerable amount of time and effort piecing together a plan for himself and by extension for the teams that he was going to be dealing with. Now, it all came to him in a bit of a rush because it was another RFU fiasco, the, the demise of Johnson, the Martin Johnson regime and everything. We, we all know what happened there. And of course, Stewart did put together an immediate string of encouraging results, which made it very difficult, made the RFU feel it was very difficult to turn to anyone else. But where Stewart had an advantage is it was at the start of the World Cup cycle he could he could afford to do the Brendan McCallum thing and say this is how we're going to play and if we lose a few on the way then so be it because this is the target that tar- that that's not available to the incoming coach if the RFU were treating the next World Cup seriously if the RFU were saying we've got to get ourselves out of a hole here and we need to be very highly competitive at the World Cup the guy's got five games to do it five games. And it's, um, that's that's a terribly big ask. I mean, I think there has to be some expectation management involved here, because if the RFU is seriously saying that we need you, we need a semi-final minimum out of you, and you've got five games to prepare for it, then that's a, that's a tough call for, for pretty much anyone. In fact, Eddie Jones might be able to do it, because as we know, he's a fireman, isn't
3: he? Eddie's a well, fireman. There's the magic wand element, isn't it? Sometimes just that change. The same players that played pretty miserably for England in the 2015 World Cup, then went and won the the Grand Slam and beat Australia 3-0 in Australia. Mauro Tojo would be the only one who who was bought in, the only major player. So you can have that shift in momentum with the change of coach, but it has to be a pretty special coach to come in and immediately, you know, um, wave that magic wand.
2: And and do do you know, I I mean, I, I throw this in as an aside... But it's it's ever more obvious to me, and I mean look, I've written about this endlessly. I'm I'm, I'm almost boring myself as well as the entire leadership of the rugby paper. But if there's a better outside, and I know the guy's injured, but if there's a better outside half in the country, seriously, than George Ford, then I'd just as well give up and go surfing. So and I'm not the shape for surfing as people know. George is the could be the Johnny Sexton of the English game, an on field coach. His game management skills and his knowledge and all those kinds of things are incredibly valuable. And if I whoever the new coach is, whoever the new coach is, George with his snap the kiddies tendon or whatever it is, should be at Twickenham with the squad, talking to players, outlining the kind of direction the side should be moving in, because he he is he's the the sort of Stuart Barnes figure in a sense of his age. He's a bloke who has the kind of game understanding that will be invaluable to any new coach. I throw that in, and I'm not on George Ford's payroll, by the way.
1: Yeah, I I'm um I'm not quite as uh as as big a fan of of George as you are, Chewy. I do think he's a you know I do think he's a very fine fly half. But I think that, you know, I mean, it, you know, the the waters get more and more muddied. You know, Farrell plays um, fly half for Saracens. They're runaway leaders of the, of, of the Premiership. He's barely put a foot wrong at club level this mm-hmm. uh, this season. Um, Smith is, you, you know, has touches that Ford certainly doesn't. That's true. Um, and And probably, you know, in terms of game management, as you say, vice versa. Um, but I'm just not sure, you know, I mean, it's about, you know, an Achilles is a bad injury. Um, George uh, has got uh pace, but he hasn't got, um, he hasn't got Smith's pace. No. Um, and I'm not sure an Achilles injury. I'm not sure, you know, how long it'll take him to get up to sort of full running speed.
2: And so, it may be a it may be a Cipriani case, right? The injury yeah. may just cost him the yard he had. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. that's perfectly that's perfectly true. But I mean, I I buy the argument about Farrell, and and and, and this is relevant to this is relevant to the new coach. This is, this is not a complete digression because the new coach is going to be whoever he is is going to be fantastically dependent on his senior players. I mean, he's got to identify senior players, i.e. I, in character terms, and he's got to completely involve them over the next few months because he's got no time. He's got no time, so he needs a massive buy-in from his senior players and some real clarity. And that's what Farrell has. It Saracens. Saracens understand how they will how they will play the game. True. They completely understand the game. Ireland at the moment. A number one in the world because they completely understand their game. Even yeah. when it goes wrong, they know what they're doing, and they they're know a
1: club side. They're a club side that have been putting the uh, the groundwork in for the last ten years. So-
2: Indeed. So that that's it. That's the only reason I I, I raised the, the 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 forward issue. It's it's a broader point, really. That whoever the new coaches, the senior players are can make or break him. In- very quickly if the RFU were saying we need a good World Cup if the RFU were telling the coach that we need semi-final minimum then it's an extraordinarily steep hill I think from wearing the are in a moment
1: yeah they but they've you, you know okay I, I I take that but you know others have others have achieved it and there's no reason why England shouldn't um you know shouldn't have the bar set as as high as anybody else.
2: Well, Jake White achieved it in 07 with the box. That, that, that is the great precedent where the box were on their knees in 06. And Jake Thank White was within one game of being drilled out. I mean, look, they, in 95,
1: the South Africans have achieved it. They seem to be the 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 nation that's able to achieve it more, more than anybody else, if you like, because in 95, I think Kitch Christie, how many months
3: did he have, Brent? Uh, eight, <laughs> yeah, he didn't have. Yeah, no, exactly. That they put it together very quickly, as did Rassi Erasmus. Absolutely they were in brilliant shape. Fifteen yeah. months. So, but he had quite a bit of rugby to play with. He had more, much more matches, uh, competitive matches lined up. But it was pretty quick with Rassi Erasmus.
1: Yeah, I'd just say that one. One thing that uh, I mean, you talk about the five games, uh, Chris. Obviously, Six Nations. That is the um, you know that's the competitive uh, edge. Uh, at that level, but they do have, I think it's three warm-up games as well, and they will assume a different um, uh, magnitude this time around because of that, you know, that team-building element and so on and so forth. So they're going to be they're going to be highly
2: significant what goes on. But, the, the-, but the, the trouble with those games, Nick, is you don't know your the, opposition how the opposition are treating yeah. it. That that's always the problem. So there's there, there's always there's always a little bit of a question mark a, a, around those games yes they're, they're valuable exercises we I mean, yeah. patently you know you you would yeah. not want to play them yeah um but they're but they but they're not full on tournament games where you can where you can draw really really hard conclusions about it.
1: i think your point about the senior players I, I mean i think that that's always the case you know that the that the coach has got to have his his lieutenants on the on on the field who really understand what he's trying to achieve <laughs> My problem is, is that I don't know how many of those senior players are, uh, you know, that Jones's senior players are actually meriting their places at the moment. And I think that one of the problems that England have had is this stasis in selection, whereby, you know, there's quite a large number of players who seem almost to be in whatever. And, you know, the new coach is going to have to decide whether they are in whatever and uh, he may have to find one or certainly one or two new lieutenants.
2: Well, you you, you mentioned the, the the three South African instances around this around a quick turnaround from not great or you know, I mean in 07 they really were in a pickle. Um but I I accept they they weren't they weren't a you know they didn't have a giant run of success going into ninety five. It would have been difficult for them to have that really considering how much time they'd spent out of international rugby anyway. Sure. And and they weren't absolutely the bee's knees in in in, in twenty nineteen until they got the and of course they lost their opening game to New Zealand in that tournament anyway. But the thing that they that that's absolutely, the, the, those three World Cup winning sides have in common is the massive influence of a senior player at scrum half. Mm. Jus van der Vesthagen, Fury de Prier, Faf de Klerk at his best, pretty much at that time. If one thing can be chucked at Eddie, and there'll be loads of things being chucked at Eddie Jones in the moment, but the real, the real abdication of responsibility. And I'm astonished that a bloke as rugby intelligent as Eddie has fallen into this trap. Is his complete failure to nail down a number nine?
1: Mm.
2: Well, he did. He did
1: nail down a, a number nine. You know, I mean, he's got. I mean, Ben Youngs has got what is it? Knocking on,
2: you know, hundred. Well, he's he's caps. got eight. He's got eight thousand caps. But, um, but, but, ben, ben Youngs, to my eye, wasn't a what. Wasn't an obvious number one scrum half when he was number one scrum half in his pomp. I didn't think his pomp was that great. I wouldn't want to be horrible about Ben. He's, you know, he's 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 done a, a good old tour of duty uh, as anyone do? with that number of caps would. But, but crikey, uh, it was patently obvious that come twenty, you know, to people to people like me, observers, come twenty twenty three World Cup, if you were still if you still had Ben Youngs as your number one scrum half. Something had gone badly, badly wrong with your selection and your succession policy. Amazing. Yeah. The one thing I would say about Ben is, he's a fine, fine
1: player that he's, he, he is and has been, is that he's not what I would call a scrum half general. And all those players that Chris mentioned, those South <laughs> African scrum halves, they are generals in the same way that DuPont is for France. They're, 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 they're fulcrums. Um, the fulcrum in the english team over the jones's period has been for the most part farrell so that you know that is a, a, a significant difference and yeah you know i mean the transition at scrum half has been a, a, an issue with england you know van Poortfleet has been there quirk is there you know mitchell is there but did they you know this this should have happened this transition should have happened Immediately after the 2019 World Cup, and it Absolutely. did, and that's a massive, massive
2: mistake Absolutely. in such a key position. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, you, you can claim with we, 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 we the other senior players where, where you're talking about are they worth their place? I mean, we all know about, about um, Mako Runapola, don't we? You know, if he'd been said it a hundred times, if he'd been able to scrummage as well as he does everything else, he'd have been the greatest loosehead who ever walked the face of the earth, but he can't. On occasion, he gets completely done. I mean, really. Really bummed up, doesn't he? I'm afraid, and that you know that will continue. So they 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 they've made the move already. Moved them, made the move to Genge. He's done the um, school bully prefect routine. He's given him loads of responsibilities. He's a big force of character, a big force of nature. That's fine. He went back to Billy Vunapola, who was playing very well at the time, but he's been exposed again, Billy. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and, and 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 Ellis Ellis Genge has been sort of seized on by people as being, you know, a, a potential driving force for England going forward. And you know, I mean, in the loose, he he he's he's a formidable. There's no really? question. Yeah. At the scrum, he can be dynamic, but his technique is not uh, test level. Mm. And England should not allow players to just claim positions as of right you know Rapava Ruskin is playing out of his skin at Loosehead for Gloucester and has been for two seasons so he needs to be
2: in that frame mm-hmm. and to have that chance so that it's a fair shake. Also how, how many of the bright the bright young things or in, in Rapava Ruskin's case probably not so not so young but but pretty bright, but people like Alex Mitchell, let's say, or people like Brad I mean, we can name a whole bunch of them. I mean, Eddie, burned through those. I mean, at a rate of, uh, a real rate of knots to mix a metaphor, didn't he? Crikey. I mean, it's, it it does, I don't see what good it does anyone to get brought down all the way down to Pennyhill Park, run around in training for a bit, packed off home and then not call back again I mean that seems to me a very strange way of going about you
1: know I mean one of one of the things about those those people who who defend Jones's record and so on and so forth which as I say I understand but I've always questioned his uh, you know he touted his ability as a selector as being one of his great strengths I remember at one stage he said I never make mistakes on selection well I'm afraid that that was bullshit he made, makes and made frequent mistakes in selection. And in many ways, it was one of, it, it was his Achilles heel. Mm. Above every, almost above everything. Yeah. And the, you know, the churn, the so-called churn of both coaches and players reflects that inability in selection.
3: Totally. Absolutely. That The coaches is just another manifestation of that. He can't, he can't, Um, home in on what he really wants. He's trying to leave his options open. He's calling in people not quite qualified for the job, not haven't quite got the background, but it might work out. It might not. So that churn is totally down to his lack of selectorial expertise um, and it's part of the, the bigger picture.
0: I just want to come back to something Nick said quite a while ago, and that was about DNA. England cricket have obviously torn up their DNA of swinging ball, playing at home late declarations, laying strong batting foundations and essentially coming out with a very blasé, fearless mindset. You look at the New Zealand DNA, which is maybe having to be broken this year because the New Zealand flair isn't enough anymore. We've said they've now found a front row that seems to be workable and they're getting back to world challenges ahead of the World Cup. French flair has now been combined with power. We've even seen the South Africa backline really light up this Autumn series in a way that we probably haven't seen in quite a while. This idea of DNA no longer seems to be enough. And so say Borthwick does come in. Does Borthwick not just feed exactly into that English DNA? And maybe what we need is someone who doesn't do that and who flips the script a little bit.
3: I think you're onto something there, Ollie. And just flicking it back to the cricket for a minute. The the way that happened is that they put the emphasis on one day cricket. We suddenly had this generation of brilliant attacking positive cricketers um, and, and they're producing it at t20 t50 but also there's test cricket so how do you hunt? what who have you got to select you've got a brilliant group of players you put can they play test cricket well yes but we have to devise a form of test cricket that we haven't played before that we haven't seen before and that's what they're doing and it's exciting to watch now with england england rugby i think if you look at the premiership there is actually a generation of very exciting young players out there almost like the T20, uh, the, the ODI cricketers. They are there. England could be playing an entirely different style of international chess rugby. It wouldn't immediately be successful, just as with the England cricket team. It's not immediately going to be successful. There are going to be dips. But that is an option for England. But I don't think anybody in English rugby has got the balls to do it. I don't I think don't get we've got a coach who's got the balls to do it.
2: You know, Ryan just he's well, only yeah,
3: There you go. He's only, I, that, yeah, I wouldn't he's only 112 Eastern man for the future. <laughs> I wouldn't send,
2: disagree, Chris. send, send for me, old mate. But it, there is an irony there. There is an irony, isn't there? That um, sometimes you can be a bit ahead of your time and it costs you, which would, would have been Brian's situation in many respects because he was trying to develop exactly that and did, actually, when he was back's coach under Woodward. England, when it's seven tries a game in 2000, 2001, those, those six nations, five stroke, five nations into the six nations era... They was they were playing an extraordinarily, thought by English standards, an extraordinarily ambitious style of rugby, uh, with a lot of ball players and 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 interchangeable positions and 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 turnarounds and rotations and all all mod cons, and that's twenty odd years ago. Of course, when he tried to do it under pressure, as the number one in England, uh, as head coach of England at a World Cup, he came, came up against quite a lot of resistance from certain players. Who would prefer to preferred a diagram on a blackboard? We need to know what we're doing, Brian. Well, I'm I can't play the game for you, said Brian. Feel free to make some decisions yourself. No thanks, Brian. We'd like a game plan. Well, I don't like game plans. In which case, history. My 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 uh uh
1: thing would be this the, the this word DNA. Uh, you know. Okay, England's DNA has been built on on traditional forward strengths. So that's the, um, that, that, that's the, the history, if you like. But you look, you know, you've got to be, you've got to play smart. You look at what your strengths are. And let's say England's scrummaging strength at the moment, their forward strength isn't exactly where it needs to be. If you want to play this fast game, then commit to it. And that means that if at the scrum you're struggling, Get hookers who can strike for the ball and get it to the number eight's feet in an instant, not stuck in, you know, at every stage in, in in you know, coming through the scrum. Scrum has put the ball at their number eight's feet already. If, yeah. if, a, if, <laughs> yeah. if a hooker
2: tried to strike for his own ball, he'd dislocate his hip.
1: Yeah, well, that's the, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, and 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 Francis, even though he's putting it into their second row, not at the number eight's feet, quite, but it sometimes it takes an age to get back. So if England want to play this all, you know, this all-action game, then learn to get quick ball. If your scrummage is under pressure, learn how you learn the techniques of the game properly. There are hookers, the the two England's two top hookers. Jamie George and Luke Cowan Dick do not strike very cleanly. They're bloody good players in every other respect, but their striking for the ball is not that good and it comes slowly. If you're going to get the best out of a young scrum half and out of Marcus Smith and you want to, and and Henry Slade and Tuilagi get quick ball, it's absolutely crucial. You don't know, without quick ball and without decent ball from the scrum, England is going to struggle.
2: How long have we said that about England teams? Quick ball or the absence of yeah. Seriously, Nick. How long? Yeah, forever. Mm. Forever. But um, you know, it's
1: these, it's these things. And Borthwick, you know, when you look at the Japan scrum, when Borthwick co- coached in that 20 uh, 2015 World Cup, that was one of the technically was one of the best scrummages that I've I've ever seen. The ball used to arrive in the number eight hands in an instant. In an instant, and they held for as long as it as was necessary to for, for them to get it there.
2: Steve, Steve okay, will certainly give right. you that. Steve will certainly in, in whatever role he, he ends up in playing, if any role at all, I mean, we still don't know as we speak. He'll certainly give you those things, won't he? I mean, I mean, his whole work around set piece, um, you know, his CV writes itself. He is he is unusually brilliant. In, 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 in that kind of stuff, which is which is absolutely fine. But what, what amazes me about England's struggles in this department is you've got a side like Ireland, who for years, decades, centuries, played the stodgiest game, game and kick it up in the air, have a fight, you know, um, um, a, a really, really um, close quarter, make the game a scrap, kick your goals, play territory, all that kind of stuff. And you've got a coach... A head coach over there, I know he's got plenty of help around him, Andy Farrell, who actually played a form of rugby at his best where there was no contest for the ball, so there was no such thing as quick ball, really. The Irish the Irish are, are turning out ball from rucks. It, what's the average at the moment? It's a couple of seconds, isn't it? Hmm. Um, one last second or something? So Some peculiar thing. I mean, they certainly have developed a way, with the players they have, of... Delivering precisely what you call for. And it makes them able to play. It makes it gives Sexton the chance to be the general he is, and it gives their backs some room to express themselves. I mean, as Brian Ashton would say, rugby is quite a simple game. Quick ball, have some confidence, express yourselves, attack space. And Ireland are good at it at the moment. But we don't seem to catch on at all. I don't, I don't quite get what the problem is, but it's been around for a very long time.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that that one other thing. I mean, Steve was the um, was the forwards coach with uh, Japan, but they did have a specialist scrum coach by the name of Mark Dalmazo oh,
3: Dalmazo, ah,
1: yeah, <laughs> who, who shouldn't be left out of the uh, the plaudits. Who,
2: who was a magnificent hooker, wasn't he? He was a very, very,
0: very good hooker in France. Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, now that's a fair point. Say. Steve Borthwick does come in, or someone you know does come in that isn't Richard Cockrell, who hasn't been in the system. Is the script gets, tends to be torn up in some ways. So players that you know Jones's old favourites may be done in an England shirt. And the question I'm asking you guys is, who do we think should be done in an England shirt by this point?
2: Well, Steve spent an awfully long time at Saracens, and there's a big Saracens contingent around the England squad still, and they're all the players he played with. Um, the Vuna Polars, uh, Jamie George, Owen Farrell, uh, you know, there may be one or two more that I, I can't think of off the top of my head. So those are, those would be inter- interesting discussions. I, I think this goes back to what the RFU are looking for their coach to achieve at the World Cup. If he's given them some space, time and space to build a team, then the sooner you start, the better, because 2027 is not that far away and you would you would want to be you know absolutely on top of your game with all your ducks in a row well before that tournament but if they're looking if they're looking for a quick fix then I'm not sure how many players you can realistically draft in for their first or second or third or fourth caps and expect them to really cut the mustard at a world cup this close i mean i think alex mitchell should be the england number 9 for instance whether that happens i don't know I, when I say he should be the England number nine, I think he should certainly be given the chance to mess it up over over two or three, you know, two or three games, let's say, because I think he's got pretty much most of what's required. Certainly a quicker pass than a lot of his rivals. And and he is a general at Northampton, an absolute general, even given the presence for much of his time as Dan Bigger. We with, with Dan Bigger at ten, who himself has got a thousand caps. But Alex Mitchell was a bloke who was calling an awful lot of the shots there as a young player. I think he's got a lot. So I would like to see him there. And that would mean Ben Young's. Thank you, Old Bean. But that's been a fantastic run. Go and have a rest.
3: I I think you're right as well, Chris, about the the short term thing and the four year cycle. If You remember after 2015, everybody, including Eddie, was writing Chris Robshaw's international obituary. And he, he was out. And the actual fact, Chris stayed on for another two years, was it? And was a pretty stalwart member of a, a successful team. So you have to be very careful who you prune and when. And that depends whether the bloke coming in has been given a Hail Mary shot at getting it right in a year's time or nine months time. Or he gets a five year contract and he goes all the way through to the, the, you know, the French World Cup. So all, all these decisions depend on the RFU making up their minds pretty quickly about a few important things.
1: Yeah. I, I what I what I'd stress is the importance of competition for places. I don't want to curtain call anyone uh, in particular, but I would say that I don't understand how Alex Dombrandt, for example, is in a squad, gets an injury, not, you know, not a, a season ending injury, gets an injury, is fit again to play when it comes to the New Zealand and South Africa games. And doesn't even get in the squad. He doesn't even get a call up to the squad. Billy Vunapola, who has had a good season for Saracens, whereas Chris has said earlier, you know, the blueprint's absolutely clear and so on and so forth. And Billy, Billy fades over the course of the autumn. So, what I'd say is, is Billy Vunapola finished as an England player I'd say that that would be definitely be premature you know he could well be a, a significant part of a Saracen side that goes on to win another Premiership title who knows what I would say is is that Dombrandt needs to be given every chance to challenge for that number eight shirt and that's where that dynamic is what you had in 2003 and that dynamic is what the new coach has got to bring in. In every position, there should be fierce competition. Jack Van Puerkfleet, you know, interesting what you were saying about Mitchell and the speed of pass and so on. Jack Van Puerkfleet in Australia in the summer, his movement of the ball from the breakdown was actually very, very quick indeed. He's actually slowed down over the process of, you know, you, you know.
0: That's Jones that's, coaching. Coaching, that's <laughs> coaching for you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll
2: tell you what. I think if 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 Steve Borthwick is is the guy who comes in, he will be conscious of a lot of that, and he certainly wouldn't treat. He wouldn't make the mistake of treating Don Brandt, for instance, and you raise him as an example of picking up an injury and then for some reason just disappears off the face of the earth, because that's exactly what happened to Steve. If you remember, he was captain of England going into the two thousand and eleven World Cup, picked up an injury was told, don't bother the tour, mm. because you know, we need to get you right. At which point Lewis Moody was pretty yeah. much named named but, captain. And Steve was not only had the captaincy taken away, yeah, but he's out of the squad. Did but he go you'll, you'll you'll remember, Chris, that
1: there were there was a huge, you know, hue and cry at the time
2: that Steve was not worth his place in the team and um you there know. were certain things he couldn't do nick I, yeah. I mean he wasn't a carrying lock we know no. that but he was the best line forward in england yeah he saved he, he won england games with his yeah. Line-out expertise yeah but it was just the way it was done that's what i'm saying that yeah. we, we, we we can argue all day long about the relative strengths of, of different players in the same position and you want that of course you do what you don't do is give people Give people messages and then basically rip up the bit of paper and say sorry. Yeah. It's a different world now. You're out because that's pretty poor. I think. Yeah, yeah. And and he was genuinely upset by what had happened to him. I mean, really I'm sure he really, was. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm yeah. sure he was. Yeah. It was one of those. Um, it was one of those uh, injuries that um, was very timely from uh, Martin Johnson's point of view. So it seemed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. One thing we touched upon earlier and this will be my last question on England, would be the coaching revamps. And obviously this is backroom stuff now. We've spoken about the scrum, and Nick, I think you'd probably agree that under Matt Proudfoot, the scrum has probably gone backwards in England. We've spoken about the attack. Literally. and Yeah, very, very literally. And Gleeson not being able to unlock the attack as well. Chris, you're sort of rolling your eyes at that. Is that because you disagree with my statement?
2: No, no. I, I think I think I, I think that's absolutely right. But that just takes me back to my whole the whole argument about continuity, and, and I'm, I'm 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 sure we'll go on to talk about um, uh, Warren Gatland and Wales and everything that's happened there. But the the contrast between those approaches. I mean, it's it's the old the old one word cliche, isn't it? Super coach. There aren't many of them around. Eddie's one because he's done some big stuff in, in multiple, in multiple scenarios, as has Warren. You, I mean, does Cheka qualify? Um, probably not quite, but he could get there if, if Argentina really make a massive fist of it uh, at the world cup. Uh, but there aren't many of these guys around. So the, so the contrast is what I'm interested in. And, 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 Eddie, Eddie is, is, a, is an autocrat by nature. Um, he makes the decisions. I'm the boss. I'm the man. It's my way or the highway. That's Eddie. He wouldn't mind anyone saying that about him. He'd revel in it. He absolutely loves that whole that whole way of dealing with things. Warren, when I, I, I did the book with Warren after the, the, the last World Cup, he really surprised me when he said that um, during the Lions tour, in in, in twenty thirteen, when uh, when O'Driscoll was famously dropped uh for the for the last test, he said we sat around five coaches and had a vote. And I said, Well, you're the head coach, Warren. What, what what's this what's this sort of trendy voting gig? And he said, That's how I run it. He said, I work with the people I trust. If we have a vote and I'm outvoted four to one and I'm the head coach, I don't say, Well, I'm the head coach, so one beats four. I go with a majority. That's how it is. He he is very much a consensus type of guy, whereas Eddie is the opposite. And that all comes, that all builds into the new head coach of England, I think, is going to have to have complete trust, complete trust in the people he appoints as his principal assistant coaches and, and advisors. And he has to at least give a convincing impression that these blokes are there for the long term. That if things go wrong early on, they're not going to be just drilled out and you know um, or be on zero hours contracts or something ridiculous because uh, because as I say, it, uh, one of the things at the heart of Eddie's demise and England's problems at the moment is that embarrassing churn of coaches, which uh, I, it just makes no sense to me. Um, it, it, I don't even know how long Martin Gleeson has been there.
0: I don't have the faintest idea, but I bet it won't be won't have been very long. So in terms of continuity, does that mean you're saying either stick with what they have now or if you do make new appointments, stick with it from then on? uh, No,
2: but but whoever the new head coach is has to have his choice of, of people he wants to work with. This is Andy Robinson had a had a team of coaches imposed upon him by the RFU, by Francis Barron, effectively. Back in, after Woodward um, uh, flanced out in a flurry of recriminations, what was that, 2004, Uh, whatever it was. And so Andy Robinson did not have his own coaches. Brian Ashton was never given the chance to appoint his own coaches. Mm. When when, when Brian Ashton was being um, elbowed out by the RFU, he had his own plans of a new coaching team. They included Paul Grayson, I may say, mm. and Toby Booth. And Dennis Betts, who was then the, the, the ex rugby league player, who was defence coach at Gloucester. I mean, Brian had all this in mind. Those were the people he wanted. Yeah. He never had the chance to appoint
1: them. It's interesting that, you know, Andy, you know, it, it's sort of um, all our yesterday, but uh, Andy Robinson did have the benefit of having, you know, in 2004, lots of the people who were in place were people that he'd worked with in the 2003 World Cup. And won a World Cup. So, yeah, and had won a World Cup. And yeah. therefore... Who, who, who were then sacked by the RFU. Well, some of them were, and some of them weren't, you know. And um, I don't remember that they were all uh, shown the door at all. I mean, Brian went well before the two thousand and three World Cup, didn't he? Lada was sacked. All red was sacked in two thousand and four. Yeah. Okay. Because that was when that no, was when John... John that
2: was when John Wells and Mike Ford came
1: in. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was a little bit after that, but um, uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I. I... I, I don't see how you can appoint a new coach, and you know, and and land him with a a coaching team not of his choice, particularly when you know you've sacked a head coach because of the poor performance of, of that coaching team as well, because they come with him. So I, I don't see how really. I don't I I don't see how any of them, unless Steve Borthwick wants them to stay, can can do so. I mean it's a harsh truth about professional sport. It's pretty, you know, it's it's colour. And um, you know, I mean that will be no consolation to uh to a- anybody who you know who's who's losing their job, but
2: that is the that's the nature of the beast. It would be a fairly strange approach, though, Nick, wouldn't it? If 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 the RFU appointed a new head coach to get them out of the hole they're now in and not give him a spade. Absolutely,
0: yeah. I think that's very fair. Right, we're going to leave England there. Um, where, where where are they? Remind me. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> Nick Kane, it's time for your random rugby fifteen. <laughs> Random rugby 15. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Maybe, maybe another <laughs> day. <laughs> Got the, the the terror in your eyes when I said that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You see, I know.
0: <laughs> I know his
2: favorite gym exercise.
0: <laughs> he probably knows yours as well. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> non-existent. <laughs> okay, an appointment from. God, I've lost track of time now. When was Gatland appointed? I don't even know. Was it was it Monday? Exactly. All right. Okay. Um, I'd he... Much much more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was early. It was. it was consecutive days, wasn't it? God, I've yeah. lost track of time. Probably an expo- uh, appointment that was much more expected after Wales lost to Australia. And Chris, you've already touched upon the contrast. I suppose we're seeing contrast as well in the way gatlin has been appointed in the way that people are already talking about him bringing Rob Howley and cetera. You know it was very much a an exchange, and I think that's something. Although you could slate the WRU for things that you know, you could slate the RFU for, that's something that's to their credit. Oh,
2: I, I think they, I think they they've actually quickly. Um, a, a heck of a lot of people are saying, "Well, why why would Warren, Warren want to put his legacy at stake? Why why is he why does he want to revisit this, etc." Um, I can I can see his logic. Things he he left Wales on a high, uh, on an absolute high. I mean they 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 got they, they'd reached a um, a second World Cup semi final under him. He'd won his three Grand Slams. He'd he, he'd done. He'd done a whole bag of stuff, which was possibly over and above a lot of expectations. He went back to New Zealand. I think he had um, an eye on a, on a possible sort of um, um, walk up the hillside towards the all black job. He knew he couldn't, he would never be given the all black job from abroad. So he went back to his home province, Waikato. There was COVID. There was the Lions sabbatical one, and also he he couldn't win a he couldn't win a game with the Chiefs uh, in in the um, in in the sort of COVID tournament over which he uh, over which he presided. And uh, when, when he returned from the Lions, which was a complete um, which was a, a sort of death of a tour, wasn't it? I mean, in in so many respects, he was then sort of shuffled upstairs into in a to our director of rugby role. Um, I'm sure he was perfectly happy in Hamilton or the, the, the lakeside home he has over there. Um, but he loves his international rugby. I think he much prefers international rugby to the day-to-day thing. He does love his big occasions. He knows Wales backwards because of the amount of time he spent there I think there are very strong cultural connections between the New Zealand scene and the Welsh scene in terms of what we've called rugby DNA in a, another discussion I think he feels completely at home with all that he understands it uh, he'll be being paid a shed load of money he's pretty much been asked to write his own job description which gives him a decent say in the sort of in the in the reshaping of the of the broader game in Wales which will interest him and if he's been given a decent contract on, 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 a, on a very good salary, then in a way, what's not to like? Um, uh, I, I'm pretty sure what he is very good at, Warren, is making players who are maybe not having the best of experiences in day-to-day regional rugby, where the Ospreys or, the, or, the, or Cardiff or whoever is really struggling badly, he's been brilliant. At making those players feel much more positive about themselves uh, and giving them realistic expectations of winning something in the Wales environment. He has created a a club-style environment there. Um, He's good at overseeing it. He is a natural people person. And I think that he will be able to pick up those reins very quickly. I think he starts, A, from a slightly higher base than he would have started at with England in terms of what he can achieve quickly. And I also think that he will consider the expectation levels in Wales, even though he's going around saying, oh, well, high expectations is a real pressure job. Actually, they're quite low expectations at the moment, aren't they? Um, you know, with Wales, with, with where they are, they've got a reasonable World Cup group. They should have beaten Australia a couple of weeks ago. They're in their World Cup group. They should obviously be in Georgia a couple of weeks ago. They're in their World Cup group. You can get a, you can get a quarterfinal out of it. He might play England in the quarterfinals. That's all his Christmas as at once. And um I, so I I I can see I can see why he's done it. As long as it squares up with his family life, which he's managed to do that in the past. Um, I'm 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 sure he's made the right call for him.
0: Brendan, do you think he I think he said himself that his legacy is on the line. Do you think that's an attempt to take the pressure off his shoulders? Or do you uh, think he's actually? Be, said, I don't think for, for a truth? second
3: his legacy is on the line. I mean, Warren Gatlin seems to have been coaching international rugby teams. ever since I was covering international. I mean, I can remember him as assistant coach to Eddie O'Sullivan in Ireland in the, the late 90s. I mean, it's, it's his arena. His record speaks for itself. Um, no, his is not on the line whatsoever. But it's a nice little deflecting um, technique, if you like. He knows the job he's got in hand. I don't think he'd be that discouraged. Uh, like Chris said, you know, should have beaten Australia. That's not to take away a fantastic Australia comeback, but how they lost that match Defies belief. I think they would be more worried at the, the the defeat against Georgia, which is the one I would disagree with Chris with a little bit. I think they did deserve to lose that match. Georgia did a number on them in their own sweet way. So he's got plenty to work with. Um, the players are there. They expect what? Well, not no, not all the players are there, but there are enough players for Wales to be competitive again very quickly. The public is not too demanding at the moment. His legacy is in place. He'll get the band back together again. I think he'll have. Um, a very enjoyable year it be interesting <laughs> won't it if he pulls in you know, i mean he
2: you know how he's being talked about robbie mcbride i think is in leinster at the moment isn't he? i think so yeah and i
3: think um, been,
2: and, they've been, they've been and, and it was market. interesting even though he uh, of, of of that of that sort of high end the high end of the world's coaching team under gatland which obviously included sean edwards who is not available to him and that is massive actually and that's one of the things that might have had him scratching his head slightly about what can be done quickly but um, it, it, Rob, Robin McBride, he spoke incredibly highly of. He was he was a really really important figure in that coaching in that coaching setup and, and on a sort of. On an escalating, on an escalating sort of curve, he was he was becoming more and more influential in it. So if he can get McBride back as well, and I don't know what that situation is contractually, um, you know, with, with McBride and Leinster, but um, but he can he can piece together much of what he had. So there'll be a lot of familiarity and a, a big sort of comfort blanket um, feel about uh, uh, about. Well, okay, let's 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 forget the last three years. Things haven't quite worked out, but we can pick up where we left off and and um, so I'm sure I'm sure that's in his mind. Yeah, I I,
1: I think that um, you know obviously expectations are going to be relatively low, and um, that is a comfort blanket. Those losses to Italy and Georgia won't fade from the uh, mind of uh, Welsh supporters rapidly. I think that the biggest danger that Wales have and that Gatland Gatland's got to address is that if they've got their best. 15 or 23 out there, they are definitely competitive. They will definitely be a threat to both Australia and England's and Argentina's hopes of getting through on the weaker side of the the draw. But it's what's below that that is the that is the the key issue for him, and also straightening out the, this thing of you know if Will Rowlands goes or has gone or whatever. You know what are they going to do about the uh, the 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 exclusion of play- overseas-based players? They've got to sort that out and um, and quickly.
2: I, th- I think I think Warren will, whatever Warren wants out of that, uh, and I, I know he was, you know, he 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 un- he understood why why all that stuff came in. Uh, he felt that you know we we remember Reese Webb was the big name who who was really really badly affected by that decision. He didn't have quite enough. Quite, quite enough caps in the in the locker to sort of to be um uh, to fall under what we would call the ghetto law yeah um, um so there was that complication and he felt he felt a bit wounded about that and 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 felt that um and felt that you know Reece had been pretty hard done by and that there sh- there should have been a more sensible way of addressing it with the Rollins thing, and he's a pretty important player for Wales at the moment, Rodans. Um, I think I think that Warren, whatever Warren wants on that front, I think he will end up having, for sure.
0: My last question, because we are going to have to wrap up. Actually, I've got two more questions. One was came to my head when you were speaking about the Australia game, Chris, and you weren't on air with Lewis Deacon, but I'd like to put you on the spot and ask you to pronounce the name of the two-try-scoring Australian winger from the Wales game. Campezi yeah, nailed it. sweet. and the other <laughs> the other question I want to ask is, would you from a rugby perspective, not a life perspective, from a rugby perspective, would you rather be English or Welsh right now?
2: I was known um during my time on the Bristol Evening Post as a frustrated Welshman. I, I think I think I think it's because of my socialist. Antecedents and and what have you. It's a. Uh, uh, don't know you're a socialist, ser- Chris. Ser- seriously speaking, seriously, parallel people, Oliver. Uh, seriously speaking, I think, I think there is more potential for Wales to be to feel good about themselves more quickly than England at the moment, as things stand.
0: Brendan, do you agree with that?
3: What I would say is things are never as dire in Wales as they will have you believe. I've just seen it for 40 years or now, you know, they will talk themselves down and down and down and down and down. And the next week they'll put four tries on Scotland in Murrayfield. So uh, I'm not having it that things are, are, are too bad in Wales. They've got a great bloke in charge. It's a, it's a rugby nation. Uh, they, they will galvanize. They'll be all right. They'll do something. I'd be, I'm worried and concerned about England because a bit of a cliche, rugby does need a strong England just as we were saying five or six years ago it needs a strong France it needs you know a, a major superpower nation so England have got to get their act together I'd be hopeful but um worrying signs at the moment they have got to make some big calls and get get things right in the next weeks and months it's
2: a good point England need to do a France don't they yeah they need yeah. to do a France
1: yeah yeah i uh, look, I I think you've always got to be positive and I'm positive about England. I think that England have got a great deal of, uh, of playing depth and talent there and they just need to bring that through.
0: Well, it's a fascinating time for English rugby and Welsh rugby and who knows how the Six Nations is going to be shaping up. A very different type of episode, but a very, very enjoyable and productive one nonetheless. Thank you for joining me and yeah, fingers crossed if you're both an English and a Welsh fan. The rugby paper is available in stores on Sundays or you can get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. Your special guest for next week's episode is Bath and England centre, Holly Lawrence.